0: Looking in John chapter 6 tonight, John chapter 6, a message I call There's Power in the Blood. And yeah, I'm humming that song right now. (laughs) It just goes in my head. Uh, And I'm sure maybe you are too. There's power in the blood. John chapter 6 and verse 54, uh, Jesus said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. May God bless the reading of his word tonight as my prayer. We have before us a rather strange and yet very powerful passage of scripture uh, that will describe for us the wonderful power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, This passage is set in the midst of the time when Jesus had fed the uh, the, uh, the 5,000 with the little boy's snack lunch. After performing this miracle, he was set upon then by a hungry crowd asking for another lunch. Yeah, a great feast. Uh, But he refused. Uh, Where he had fed them before, he refused to do it again. And when they asked him for a sign and pointed out that Moses had given them bread from heaven. The implication was that if he was greater than Moses and and was to be perceived as being greater than Moses, then uh, he should feed them for a lifetime like Moses had done. Uh, But of course, Jesus very quickly corrected their thinking. It wasn't Moses that fed them at all. It was God who fed them. And it was God who sent that down. That's exactly what he says then in verse 32. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger And he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, there is something very satisfying in coming to Jesus. Uh, If I didn't have any other passage in the Bible except this one to explain to people why you only have to be saved once, I would still have this one. (laughs) Once you have feasted on the bread of life, you don't need to feast again and again and again and again. Just like Jesus said to the woman at the well, Whoever drinks of this water... (laughs) will never, not never, thirst again. All of this building tonight, there are people, including me, who can give testimony to the fact that once you have drank deeply from the waters of life, once you have feasted on the bread of life, then you're not hungry for that anymore. That salvation is very, very satisfying uh, to all of us. We don't need that again and again and again. Now many take this passage and use it to teach the idea uh, of the Eucharist. And for those of you who have never been around that background, uh, there are those who would refer to what we call the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist. It's called a sacrament then because it is viewed as the means by which grace is secured or obtained. By taking the Lord's Supper then, or the Eucharist as it's called, as a sacrament, it is said that that is how a person contracts the grace of God. And they turn to this passage. Uh, They combine that with the doctrine of transubstantiation. That's a fancy word. I understand that. It means that uh, through the the prayer and the things that they go through, the ritual that they go through, and the performance of what they call the Eucharist, uh, that the uh, bread and the wine turns literally into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't say these things tonight to ridicule people for their sincere beliefs. They believe them very sincerely. I say them simply as a matter of our own education. There are those who take this passage and apply it in these ways. But that is a classic case of ignoring the context of the passage. Jesus was replying to a group of people who said, Be like Moses and give us the bread of life from heaven forever. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me then shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And he would go on then in verse 37 to say, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Verse 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, And I will raise him up at the last day. You see, Jesus makes it very plain. That this whole passage is about coming to him. About believing on him. About seeing him. Understanding who he is. And receiving him then as our personal savior. Coming to Jesus and believing on him. Jesus would employ then similar language when he instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before he died. In Matthew 26 and verse 26 he says this. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Remember that Jesus instituted this before, before he died. When he said, this is my body, that body had not yet been offered. When he said, this is my blood, that blood had not yet been shed. Therefore, there is no way that we could take that passage except symbolically. This represents my body. This represents or is a picture of my blood. That's exactly how Jesus intended for it to be. It was a symbol of what was about to happen when He died on the cross for the sins of the world. That's what it was on the night that He instituted. That's what it still is today. John chapter 6 and verse 60, after Jesus had said that made this statement, uh, the Bible says, Therefore many of His disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Nicodemus, a master of Israel, was confused when Jesus took a simple physical principle, being born, and used it to teach a spiritual principle, being born again. Uh, We should not be surprised then when so many people uh, did the same thing when he made this application. He took a physical principle and he makes a spiritual application of spiritual truth. Uh, Multitudes have been confused by this. Just like Nicodemus was confused about being born again. But Jesus gave them some clear information in verse 63. He said, It's the Spirit who gives life, the flesh... Prophets nothing, the words that I speak to you are spirit and their life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. You see, right there in the midst of that crowd of people that were following Him, Were those who had professed to be followers. Those who had professed to be disciples. They had gone with Him. They would listened to Him. They had been around Him. They would watched Him perform the miracles. They had helped, no doubt, in various ways. They were disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew better. Jesus knew better. No, they weren't. They never were. He knew it. Not only did He know that some of those people who were following Him were not really disciples... He also knew that at least one of those phony disciples was going to betray him. He knew it. And because he knew that, he was emphasizing then the role of the Heavenly Father. No one can come to me unless it be granted to him by my Father. Jesus was very, very plain about this. Uh, That uh, for a person to be saved, they have to be drawn, convicted... By the Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Over the years, I've heard people say, Well, you know, I can be saved whenever I want to. The problem is, we don't want to until the Spirit of God is working on us. You understand? The want to comes from Him. Now, the thought of drinking blood would have been particularly offensive to the Jews, and Jesus knew it. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 3 Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you I have given you all things even as the green herbs but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood Genesis chapter 9 All the way through the Mosaic law that prohibition continued even into the New Testament Acts chapter 15 verse 19 Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Yet in spite of all of that, uh, Jesus still gave the words of our text. And he uses it then to deliver that incredibly powerful message about the blood of Jesus Christ. We preach about it. We sing about it. We extol the virtues of the blood of Jesus. And yet perhaps we never really give a lot of understanding to just how complicated this issue is. How complicated it was to those in the New Testament. And how much that we need, even tonight, to have a good understanding of everything the blood of Jesus Christ can do and is doing for us. You might remember some years ago when a major denomination in our country made headlines. Because they determined to take everything about the blood out of their faith. Even removing the songs about the blood from their hymnals. Uh, We're not among that number, amen? We're not. We still talk about the blood of Jesus and sing about the blood of Jesus. Uh, Some people call us your bloody Baptist. Well, I'll I'll take that. I will. But I'll take that as we explain what the Bible says. Tells us, You see, Jesus has already told us that His blood was shed for many for the remission of sins. Now look at Hebrews chapter 9 for a moment. Verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that He should offer Himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another... He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus, you see, entered into the very presence of God. And offered not the blood of bulls and of goats, but his own blood. And Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 then tells us this about that. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd, uh, that's the verb form of the word pastor, by the way, one of the few times it's found in the New Testament, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his, what? Own blood. His own blood. The blood of Jesus then referred to To as being God's own blood. Shepherd the church of God which he purchased. He who? God purchased with his own blood. Isn't that interesting? We know about type A, type B, type AB, type O. Positive and negative. Jesus' blood type might be called type G. God. The God type. The blood of God. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus' blood was not stained by the curse of sin. It rests upon all the rest of humanity. This is related to our salvation because if it were not so, then the blood of Jesus Christ uh, uh, could not have paid for the price of our sins. He would have died like everyone else died. He would have been just as much under the curse as everyone else is under the curse. But since His blood is not only divine blood, but it is sacred blood and sinless blood, then He was not under the curse, and He could give then His blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But our text, and I I know I've thrown a lot at you tonight, and I, I did it deliberately, but our text calls on us to view the blood of Jesus in a very personal way. Our own personal interaction with His blood. There is a sense of sharing, partaking of Jesus' blood that is presented in our text. Now, we do not do this through communion or the Lord's Supper. Then how exactly do we interact in this way with the blood of Jesus? Well, I think that we need to understand that Jesus is using something physical the blood to teach us a spiritual truth. Just like he did with the birth, the physical birth, there's a natural birth. that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And just as he did that did, he wants us to consider things about what blood does. We know a lot more about that now than they did in the days of the New Testament. We know a lot more then about what Jesus was really telling us in this passage because we have such a capacity to understand what the blood does. Uh, First of all, I want you to consider tonight the, the way that blood supplies. Blood supplies. What is the power of the blood? Well, the blood supplies. and Jesus talks about that. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Our blood supplies oxygen to every cell in our body without which we would quickly die. It also supplies the nutrients and proteins that are essential to our health and well-being. We hear more and more about blood chemistry these days. We understand that there are chemicals that our brain needs, chemicals that our body needs, nutrients and hormones and all the other complex compounds such as endorphins and dopamine that are related to our emotions and desires and all of them, all of them are in the blood. There's an incredible, incredible complexity in the human blood, so complex that even still today it defies evolutionary theory because there is no explanation evolutionary, in an evolutionary way as to why human blood is so much more complex than our nearest so called evolutionary uh, uh, revel, uh, relative, related species. Uh, God summed up all that complexity with a simple expression. And that's been known all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. If we're happy, sad, glad, bad, hungry, thirsty, tired, stressed, or sleepy, if we're feeling great or down in the dumps, let me tell you something it's in the blood. Uh, For the believer in Christ, a new life principle, though, begins to operate. And that principle is Jesus Christ. No longer can it only be said that life is in the blood because our life is in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 says that my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So you see, just like the blood supplies all the needs of all the cells of our human body, so also... Jesus Christ supplies us with everything that we need to be what He wants us to be. Yes, indeed, there is power, marvelous, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus Christ. It represents Him and what He does for us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. There is incredible life-giving power in the blood. Jesus Christ then gives us that life. We know that blood purifies. And Jesus alludes to that. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in Him. In 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says if we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship one with another and... The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, does what? Cleanses us. Isn't that interesting? Cleanses us from all our sin. You see, we not only have figured out that our blood carries oxygen and other vital nutrients to every single cell in our body. Quite frankly, I have to say tonight that it didn't work as well with the fat cells as what it does. But uh, it works really, really good with them too. Uh, It supplies everything that every cell in the body needs in order to survive. But we also know that the blood is constantly working to cleanse us. Isn't it wonderful then that God put 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 in the Bible. The blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all our sin. You see while the blood is circulating through the body it's delivering oxygen over here. Uh, when we inhale, it picks it up, takes it over there and over there, all the way out to our fingers and toes and up to our hair. and I mean, all of it's getting that marvelous thing. <sighs> Breathe in, oxygen. But then that's not all. Breathe out, <sighs> carbon dioxide. Breathe in, oxygen. <sighs> Breathe out, carbon. So it's not only picking up what we need, the good stuff, but it's taking out the bad stuff. What would kill us if we kept it inside? Not only that, but the blood is picking up a lot of toxins and poisons from the body that are filtered out uh, by the kidneys so they can be taken care of. The body carries all the nutrients, all the chemicals, all the good things that are needed, but it also takes out of us all the bad stuff that we don't need and that would kill us if it stopped doing it. In the blood, a wonderful thing. Blood of Jesus, then, is simply describing that physical reality and using it to make a spiritual application. Jesus talks about how that when we have received Him as our Savior, then He is abiding in us. Some of that has to do with the doctrine of union with Christ because Christ is in us and we're in Him. And that means that uh, we are not only saved, but we are gloriously saved. We have a new power that is living in us and working in us to enable us to do what God wants us to do. But then John tells us that as saved people, the blood of Jesus Christ not only cleanses us, but He continually cleanses us from our sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is again. The byproduct then of walking in the light as He is in the light is that we observe our sin. A lot of things are hidden in the darkness. A lot of things we don't see. We don't see hidden beauty in the darkness. We see hidden, we have hidden flaws that are covered up uh, that you can't see in the darkness. They are, they're glaringly apparent in the light. Uh, there's a reason why we don't uh, shop for used cars at night. There's a reason why uh, that we don't buy diamonds and jewelry. In the dark. There's a reason why. That they want all of these things shining on us. Why? Because in the light we can see all of its beauty. It comes out. If it's something beautiful and clear, it's there. If there's a flaw there, we can see it. It's easily seen. As we walk in the light then, our sins are easily seen. And then we can bring them up to Jesus so that we can confess them to Him. The blood then is constantly working. Constantly supplying, constantly then purifying us. The blood also works in a way that I call the blood verifies. It's the spirit, John 6.63 says, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life. Built into the human bloodstream is the marvelous and incredible immune system. One of the foundational ingredients of the immune system is the ability to to recognize uh, whether a substance is life or not life. Whether it is like me or not like me. That is whether it's something that the protein structure that is unique to each one of us uh, and it fits in that or whether it's something foreign. Some of these cells in the body even have the marvelous ability to recognize these things and actually remember what they are. That's what vaccination works and immunization works. Once the blood recognizes an invader, it will remember it from then on. And every time it shows up, then it will quickly move uh, to kill it, whatever it might be. Jesus would speak these words in response to the reaction of the crowd when they spoke of eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And He's speaking, remember, of believing on Him, of receiving Him as their Savior. And the Word of God then, that receiving of Him, was going to point out to them whether they were a child of God or whether we are not. As we go further and deeper into the Word of God, as we study it and learn from it, God is constantly bringing to our mind and heart the things that are life and the things that are not life. The things that are good and the things that are bad. The things that we need and the things that we need to get rid of. And the Word of God is constantly working that way to show us what is life, what is right, what is not life, what is wrong. Now, right here in our own church family, we see... a uh, a really powerful demonstration of that immunization system. Emily is having to fight for that right now because her body is trying, has been trying to reject that new heart that she's got. And they'll have to suppress that part as best they can uh, to keep that from happening. And we need to pray constantly that they'll be able to do it. What a balancing act that is. To keep the body from rejecting that thing that she needs to keep living. But at the same time being able to fight off all the other things that come around. It's, it's such, a, such a delicate process that they have to put in place to make that work. But the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're just now beginning to figure out just how wonderfully we are made. But that is a wonderful power of the blood to recognize what is life and what is not life. I'll bring these things to you tonight so that we might understand a little bit better about the power of the blood of Jesus. We know that the blood of Jesus is effective for cleansing us from our sins. We know that because we hear that. We've been preached had that preached to us. We know that the blood of Jesus purifies. We know that the blood of Jesus supplies all of our needs. I hope we can think a little bit more about how the blood is constantly working in us through the word. Through the word of Jesus, through his life that lives in us, is constantly working to show us what is life and what is not life. There is wonderful power in the blood. Tonight, I have then a simple question to ask you Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb. I want you to know tonight that there's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You see, when we sing those songs, when I preach this message, I'm reminding you, in spite of what our culture sometimes says, That when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and shed his blood for your sins and mine. That was God's plan. It was God who set it up long ago without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. It was God who said that the blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sin. All they ever could do. All of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of bloody sacrifices that were committed there in Jerusalem all those years. They could never take away a single sin. All they could do is point by faith to what Jesus Christ would do when He died on the cross. It's so good to be able to live on this side of Calvary because we look back on His completed work. And we know the incredible price that was paid for our remission, for our forgiveness, for our salvation. For our justification. The question is. Will you receive it? You say how do you do that? Well Jesus said. Whosoever believeth in me. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. Paul the apostle in Romans chapter 10. Would tell us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. And we bring those things to mind tonight because it tells us a a couple of essential things about how we receive that sacrifice for sins. Number one, we have to know what Jesus Christ did. We have to know that His death on the cross had my name on it, had your name on it. That when He died on the cross, He died for you. He died for me. Uh, I've watched the movie Saving Private Ryan many times. I wish they'd clean up the language in it. I'm ashamed of that, but... uh, I'm not ashamed of what uh, they tried to depict of what our servicemen and women did so long ago uh, when on D-Day and, and what happened after. Watched a little bit of it this afternoon. And I was uh, just dumbfounded again and I thought about our message tonight and it just jumped out at me as I saw when they finally found Private Ryan, if you haven't watched the movie. And, and uh, they told him, you know, two of our guys have already died trying to find you. And he immediately stopped. You could tell it put him back. And he said, what was their names? And he wanted to know their names. Somebody died for me. Listen, somebody died for you and me. The question is, are you going to receive it? Or will you reject it? Not everybody was going to receive it. Jesus said that in John chapter 6. But if we could just think then tonight about what we know about the blood. The wonderful things that the human blood does for us. What a magnificent spiritual truth that Jesus taught us. When he taught us that the life is in the blood. and Receiving that is necessary. If we are going to receive him as our savior. Would you do that tonight? We are going to ask for the bill and our praise team to come forward. We are going to have a time of invitation. But I'd ask you as we're praying, if you need to receive Christ, it's going to be a great time for you to do that. Put your trust in Him and receive what He did for you by faith when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for the chance that we have to think about the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of our sin and to be able to proclaim as we have many times before That there is, in both song and in message, there is wonderful power in the blood of Jesus. I pray for those tonight, Father, who might need to make that time of decision. That time of commitment. That time when they trust in you that they might be saved. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. and That is point that out to them. Convict them. Show them their need. Lord, if they've been saved, I pray that you'd convict them to follow you in baptism as we saw This morning, young people eager, eager to follow you in baptism and to show, Lord, their commitment to you. I pray for more who would come and make that same decision. And we ask it tonight in Jesus' name. Thank all of you for being here tonight and for this morning I appreciate so very much your attendance here And the attention you give to the reading and the study of the word of God And I hope tonight we can go out with uh, just a little bit more appreciation Of what uh, Jesus told us uh, When he said the life is in the blood And uh, that when we receive him That that blood of Jesus Christ is constantly working in us in a spiritual way. And uh, very similarly to what uh, the blood does for us in a physical way. Uh, I also pray tonight that uh, you'll all be careful this week. I know perhaps some of you will be traveling, uh, enjoying a day off. Some of you won't be. I understand that. We will have services Wednesday night. be family worship here. That just simply means that our nursery and children's department will be closed down. And we'll meet out here. You say we've got plans already? I understand. If you don't have anywhere to go I'll have a message here for you and uh, we'll enjoy a good time of worship and fellowship if you're able to come and uh, we might even hang around and watch some fireworks or something. <laughs> you, know, you can't ever tell. Somebody might bring a watermelon or uh, and if somebody wants to bring up some homemade ice cream. I don't have a cooler but uh, if you wanted to bring some, uh, I would help you eat it, uh, I promise. So uh, uh, i just dropped a couple of hints. Uh, anybody got an extra thing, a pair of preserves around? I, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd make sure those don't spoil for you. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm just kind of kidding but not. If uh, you want to bring some things up uh, Sunday night just for some impromptu fellowship, or Wednesday night rather, well just do that. We'll meet here at the regular time, have family worship, and, uh, and then uh, hang around some if you want to. All right. Um, anything else before we go? Anybody? For the bill, anything? All right.
1: Next uh, Sunday morning, 7.15 uh, is the men's prayer breakfast. So, gentlemen, if you're uh, able, please come out and join us at 7.15 next Sunday morning.
0: Uh, July the 12th, Nancy said, in case some of you weren't able to hear. uh, They're having a meeting in Little Rock uh, to find out what the future of the shelter is and also all the other shelters in the state. But uh, 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 just be in prayer for this uh, as they're making decisions that will affect a lot of young people's lives. And uh, so pray for them, okay? July the 12th. All right, any others? Brother Mark Cooper, would you dismiss us please?